and welcome to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your animal companions, Fox and Sparrow. Heyo, travelers, we're back and we have another fantastic tale. Today, we have a famous folktale from Ukraine that some of our travelers might have heard of already. The mitten has been translated into a variety of languages, and it did take me a second, but once I saw the cover of Jan Brett's illustrated copy, I remembered it very clearly from my childhood. We have used many different versions of this story, including translations and retellings from Barba Suwin, Irina Zelsnova, Svetlana Yakovenko, Pavlo Chubnitsky, and Ivan Ruchenko. I'm with you, Fox. When I was a child, I loved Jan Barrett's illustrated copy of this story, and it really resonated with me. So when we were talking about doing a uh, another episode this week I just kept coming back to that story and I just kept imagining that beautiful art and it just I just got warm uh fuzzy feelings and just knew we had to cover it we're also in quite a weird spot in terms of the weather at the moment where it's kind of wintry kind of summery but that's just spring for you so it's nice to kind of cuddle in and get cozy with a nice wintry book even though it's starting to sometimes be sunny outside fox I bring you a story that will keep you warm on a snowy winter's night. In fact, it's such an inviting tale, I believe I hear the sound of other critters fast approaching. So put on your warm winter jacket and listen closely as I tell the tale of the mitten. There was once a young boy with bright red warm mittens. One snowy winter's day, his mother told him to go out into the woods to collect firewood. Bundling himself up for the cold trek, he put his mittens on and went out with his sled. I don't know about you, but I find it hard to work with mittens. They can be so nice and warm, but you really just need gloves when you're working outside to pick up things or make good snowballs. And this boy is similar as he quickly takes off his nice red mittens as he collects the firewood and puts the mittens in his pocket. Unfortunately, the boy forgets to put them back on, and one of the red mittens falls out of his pocket as he continues walking. Doesn't it suck when you just lose the one mitten? Like, you have the one, and forever you're going, where is your partner? I know I had you at one point, but it's disappeared from the face of the earth. This is the actual bane of my existence, because at the moment, I'm wearing two <laughs> different types of mittens, because I've lost the pair from each of them. But it happened that I lost the right, like the opposite oh. pair. Um, but my biggest issue is that I always, always, always lose a glove or a mitten or a hat or just any kind of winter gear. I'm constantly losing just a single piece of a set. And like you said earlier, I also do not really like mittens. I didn't really know the difference in terminology between the two of them, but a glove is the one that has separate compartments for every finger and thumb, whereas a mitten just covers the entire hand. And so oftentimes kids will wear mittens and adults will wear gloves because we need to actually grab onto things and do things and, you know, <laughs> play with our phones while we're wearing them. It's actually funny. <laughs> um, I know that you just mentioned that often kids will have mittens, but for me, it's been a complete reverse. As a child, I was always playing in the snow, so I needed gloves and I, like, hated wearing mittens. But as an adult, my hands just get colder now, it seems, and I just want the warm mittens and I'm just like go seeking them out now of course if I ever have to work in the snow I still need those gloves but if I'm just like walking uh to the store I, I want them mittens just to keep me warm on a winter's day 
I mean, I think I prefer gloves to mittens, to be honest. I think gloves make you a lot warmer in terms of how much heat you can put into each finger and each individual finger. But also, I mean, okay, I can't, I'm not a good reliable source for this because I have hyperhidrosis and my hands get really, really sweaty constantly. So in mittens, it's just, it's, it's, you know, I'm a, I'm essentially a water bender at that point. (gasps) That's awesome. I mean, just take water bending and take it for the win. But I don't know. Sometimes I just want a good cozy mitten. But if you had to pick in general, gloves are just more useful. It's true. Either way. This is such a classic kid thing to do. You put it in your pocket and it just falls out and you just are oblivious to it. Uh, obviously, this happens as adults as well, but like this is such a classic kid thing. I've seen my nieces already do this. I don't even know how they managed it, but we've <laughs> lost like three pairs of mittens at this point and they're not even like two yet. <laughs> I feel like kids in general have just a knack for losing things because you always hear stories from parents saying, my child lost this. And sometimes it's something like <laughs> they lost their shoe. And you have to wonder, how how did you lose a shoe? But they're just kids, and I guess they get lost in the moment, and they forget things, and they don't have the same kind of mental checklist of, I have to make sure I have this and this and this before uh, I go. Speaking of the shoes, it always annoys me when I see a child have the wrong shoe on the wrong foot. Like, I know that's their choice, and it's fine, <laughs> but I become so uncomfortable in my own shoes suddenly because I can feel, like, my shoes bending the wrong way because I'm seeing what they're feeling, and I'm like, ah. Uh. <sighs> <laughs> you can't control the children. They will do exactly as they please. No, and I don't and I don't do anything about it. I leave them be. I let them be happy. But I can just start to feel like how that would feel and it's just so uncomfortable. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> we did digress a bit about gloves it's and mittens. Important to okay. discuss. That's the entire story. It's important to establish how we feel about mm-hmm. mittens, because we are going to talk a lot more about this one particular mitten. Uh spoilers. <laughs> So this boy, walking through the woods, has dropped his mitten, and he continues on his way, completely forgetting about it. And shortly after, a little mouse notices this bright red mitten sitting out in the snow. She excitedly darts into the mitten and warms herself, for it was becoming night and getting very, very cold. She thinks about how perfectly warm the mitten is and how it will make a nice place to sleep. Not long after, she hears a Ribbit. Ribbit. She peeks her head out and she sees the hoppity frog. The frog seems very cold and the mouse doesn't mind the frog much, so she lets him stay with her in the mitten. With that, the frog happily hops into the mitten, finding a nice warm spot next to her. It's quite cute thinking that if I lost my mittens, there's a nice, they're making a home for an animal. How is it that I just keep reading this story? And this is the first time I thought about that my mittens could be helping other animals. Who knew littering was okay? <laughs> well, I mean, we do live in the city, so <laughs> I don't think it's good. Maybe the raccoons and the rats? Yeah, I could see that. A raccoon just taking my mitten. It would probably wears a hat, though, to be quite honest. <laughs> Pigeons pecking at it. I mean, the wildlife's a little bit different, but they'll make it work. Well, enjoy, raccoons. All those mittens. You're welcome. Just as the little mouse and the hoppy frog begin to fall asleep in the comfortable mitten, they hear a light. Boom, boom, boom. They look outside and see the bouncing rabbit. The hoppy frog recognizes the rabbit and eagerly invites her to join them. 
The rabbit happily accepts and bounces in after the mouse and the frog make room. Now, I want to note at this point that as there's many retellings of this tale, the number of animals and the order of animals that come along are often quite different. And in particular, and because the number of animals change and the and what types of animals change, the motivations or the reactions these animals have to each other are often different as well. Right now, I'm taking inspiration from a few different variations that I've read and also um, just putting my own personal preference onto it. When we're reading folktales and animal tales specifically, there are so many different variations of them that it's kind of difficult to stick to one because there's elements of other ones that just make sense to you or that resonate with you. And with oral storytelling in the sense that we're doing it, where we're sharing it on a podcast, it's important that we obviously stay true as much as we can to the sources that we're using. But when you have tales that come from so many different sources with so many different details missing or details changed, it, I think taking a bit of a liberty and using the ones that we think make sense to the story is fine. And that's what folktales folk are, aren't they? They're just a collection of the same stories being retold over and over again mm-hmm. and people adding different twists to them, people adding their own little details, and eventually that's the story that gets told. So it's, it's fun that we're part of kind of the collective telling of this tale now. Just as the little mouse, the hoppity frog, and the bouncing rabbit were settling in the cozy mitten for a good night's sleep, they heard... <laughs> The sound of the flapping wings of the old owl. Groaning and grumbling, the animals begin to make room for the owl, as they do not want to be rude, nor do they want to argue with the old owl. With a flap of his great wings, the old owl pushes his way in and nestles in for the night. Once all the animals were settled in the mitten and began to nod off once again, they heard... The approaching boorish, well, boar. The boar demands to be let in the mitten, for it is a very cold night and he needs a place to sleep. The animals in the mitten could see his long curved tusks and did not want to argue with him. So they all hastily shuffled over and the boar climbed his way in the mitten. And I imagine if this boar was anything like Pumbaa, all these animals would soon regret this decision to let him in, tusks or not. I think the mitten is getting very crowded at this point, so I'm not even sure why the boar wants to get in there, given that there are several other animals. We have a little mouse, but then we have also kind of like a slimy frog. We have a talony owl with a beak. I mean, you don't really want those different parts touching you, I guess. So, yeah, the first three... The, the mouse, the frog, and the bunny were all herbivores, so like they're not really a threat to you, and they're fine. Um, the owl is where it starts to get interesting because it's got the talons with him, and like those, uh, and those wings can be quite powerful. Like if he was able to kind of get them moving. And now you've added a boar in here, who uh, is going to take up a ton more room. And like they, the animals noted, he's got tusks. Also, keep in mind, we're talking about, like, a young boy's mitten. This is, this is not a huge mitten. I don't know how they got the owl in here, but it's quite an impressive mitten that he's got going on. 
are we going to have to do the square, like the area of this mitten versus the size of all these different animals? We end up doing so much math. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this mitten. And to save you all the math box, I think I'm going to break it down later. So stay tuned to our five fantastic finds to learn more on this. All the animals were now snuggled together when they heard the of footfalls. The animals in the mitten all peek out to see the sly fox looking as cold as cold can be. Shivering, she politely asks if there is any more room for her in the mitten. All the animals sigh and squeeze together as the fox slides into the mitten. At this point, there seems to be absolutely no room left as every critter was nestled together tightly. But everyone was in and slowly drifting off until they heard whoosh, 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 whoosh. They heard a sad plea for a place to stay in the mitten from the mournful wolf. There was an awkward pause as there really wasn't any room left for the wolf. In this awkward silence, the wolf started howling sadly, and everyone felt so sorry for him. So they all sucked in their guts and squeezed together once more, and the wolf climbed into the mitten as well. But before anyone could settle in for long, they heard the boom, 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 boom. Thunderous footsteps echoed throughout the forest. Without waiting to be asked at all, the animals in the mitten scrambled to make room for the only animal in the forest that could be. The big bully bear. And it was a good thing they did, too. For without asking, the great bear clawed and forced his way inside the mitten. The mitten continued to stretch and stretch, and it looked like it was about to burst. But in a great relief to all the animals, it miraculously stayed intact. I have to interrupt you here because this is the bear is one of my favorite characters in this story. <laughs> and just the way that he's portrayed in all of the different variations and the retellings. One of my favorite ones is one where they give the different animals names. I just wanted to read a little snippet of it because I love the bear in this and what he says. In this retelling, what ends up happening is all the characters will end up saying their name every time they are introduced to a new animal. So the bear comes up, asks who's inside the mitten, and the mouse responds, We are Crunch Munch the mouse, Hop Stop the frog, Fleet Feet the rabbit, Smiley Wily the fox, Howly Prowly the wolf, and Snout Rout the boar. And who are you? I'm Grumbly Rumbly the bear, and though you are quite a crowd, I know you'll make room for me. Just... Just the fact that he's like, I know you'll make room. Don't worry, you guys will figure it out. And he gets in anyway is <laughs> hilarious to me. This man does not care about a single thing. And it feels like that is one of the few consistencies throughout all of these stories is he always just comes in. He's never like, oh, it, please let me in. It's like uh, he might politely ask, but he's really just like, I'm coming in. Okay, make r way for bear. Yeah, I love that. He doesn't care. And I think that's that's why he's my favorite character is he just doesn't seem to care about what's going on, what the situation is, how uncomfortable it'll be for not only him, but everyone else. He just goes, yep, that's fine. And he is probably cartoonishly way bigger than any of these other animals. The only animal that comes close is the wolf. Bears are huge, is my point. <laughs> like, we've been, we discussed a little bit of like, 
the ridiculousness of all these animals fitting in, but this this bear takes it to just to a whole other level trying to fit into this tiny child's mitten. But, I mean, kudos for him for just believing he's slim enough to get in there. Finally, at long last, the animals truly settle down and fall asleep for the night. Dawn breaks and a small singing sparrow flies overhead and sees the bright red warm mitten with many animals in it. She comes down and asks if she too can come into the mitten for a quick nap. But alas, all the animals were sleeping and she didn't want to wake them. But she was so small, surely there was enough room for her, she thought to herself. And so she hops closer and places one tiny foot into the mitten and accidentally tickles the big bully bear's nose. Oh! The great bear sneezes and all the animals go flying out from the mitten in all directions. Talk about a rude wake-up call. Soon after, the young boy comes by to see what was the source of that great noise he had just heard. He looked around and saw no animals, just a great number of tracks going in all directions. And in the center, his bright red mitten. Relieved that he was able to find it, he picks it up, puts it on, wondering if it was always so much bigger than his other mitten. (laughs) And that is the tale of the mitten. I love it. I think it's so cute. I mean, the ending is a lot more sanitized than some of the other endings. Yeah, but uh, this is the general variation I grew up with, and I wanted to stick to that. Um, I also just always loved the imagery that somehow in all of this, the mitten stays intact and that his only thought was, huh, this mitten looks stretched out. Was it always like that? Oh, well, (laughs) I'll just continue on my way. (laughs) I like the combination of the different animals as well and how they all just come together to stay in this mitten and keep warm because the very core of it on a cold night I mean, you're not going to care about who's a predator, who's a prey. It's going to be just straight up who's warm and who's cuddly and who you can be next to. Exactly. You just want to get warm and just like, because at that point, probably a lot of animals are thinking about just surviving weather conditions and not so much each other. So yeah, I can see how they're just all excited to take advantage of this mitten and just snuggle in for the night. Uh, But looks like we're going to have to find another kid's mitten tomorrow night because they've lost this one. (laughs) (laughs) or they might find something else that's equally as charming and cutesy and cottagecore if they're looking for another mitten the following night hopefully still stay in the sanitized version that we had today otherwise things might not have gone so well our version that we read today and some of the versions from our childhood are quite sanitized in comparison to the actual variants that come from the 1800s One of the versions, instead of a little boy, the character is an old man who loses his mitten while he's hunting with his dog. And he ends up tracking the animals and he ends up shooting them while they're in the mitten. So all of them end up dead, which is not quite the right kind of story you want in a children's tale. In another version, he hears them after the bear sneezes and his hunting dog actually gets into the mitten as well and ends up trampling or killing some of the animals while some of the others escape. So this story is quite dark in some ways, 
specifically when we have an older character, we have a hunter, that kind of frames what kind of story we're going to see versus when ours where we have a little boy who's not going to come in and hurt these animals. He's not going to come in, he's going to kill them. I just thought it was quite interesting to see what the different versions are since we talk a lot about how some of the actual mm-hmm. sources of these t- tales can be quite grim and quite dark. Yeah, we always got to be aware when a story is being sanitized, which happens quite often. We've talked about this before. As stories were often initially told for adults and then just kind of, you know, cleaned up a little bit around the edges for children to hear. And then that's often how we remember them. Uh, Just always good to keep those in mind. A sanitized version is not always like wrong, but it's just good to know when that's the version you're getting is all. Yeah, and honestly, depending on what perspective you take, some of these stories, when they're told in perspective of adults, when they're meant for adults, it does have that feeling of, well, now the man has all of this animal fur and all of this animal meat to help him carry out through the winter. We don't really know what the situations are like. And so it doesn't, we can't really say that when we read the story, we're having the same reaction we would as the people who were telling it at that time. So it's always good to remember the context, the history, and the perspective that we're being told. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So everyone dies at the end. It's plot twist. So depressing because that is like the biggest joke you can always say is like, oh, everyone dies at the end. But then that's actually the case. And you're like, oh, awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for ruining your childhood. This is not the story that was going to ruin my childhood. I was shattered the moment I first heard the real tale of The Little Mermaid. And I don't think I really fully recovered from that. Or, more accurately, that's what got me into this thing in the first place. So maybe I did recover, and this is just how I'm coping. <laughs> just by reading the sanitized little, the the children's versions of it to keep yourself alive. Just, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place <laughs> like home. I mean, bring it on, Fox. I am looking forward to whatever else you can find in the future to, uh, to shatter my childhood. There's not much left. Um, so have at it. <laughs> But no matter what version of this tale that we are looking at, right now we are bursting at the seams of this episode with all sorts of good knowledge. But I think there is still enough room in here to fit in our five fantastic finds. Number one. Folklorists often cite five qualities of true or genuine folk tales, which include traditional stories being passed on orally, existing in variants, being formulaic, and having anonymous authors. Children's storybooks often include folklore or fairy tale tropes because due to their nature, they are simple and recognizable. According to Priscilla Ord in her article, Children's Literature and the Folklore Connection for the Children's Literature Association Quarterly, when a story is passed down through oral storytelling, it develops a rhythm to it with stock characters, simple plot lines, and easy to recognize elements. Children have an incredible scope of imagination, so storytelling holds the power of wonderment for them that can't be reproduced in adults. Seeing a story for the first time and believing it to be the complete original is sadly one of the downsides of being an avid reader and researcher, since we are constantly comparing and drawing connections. Still, it is not too late for adult readers to immerse themselves in children's literature. As the popularity of online reading communities like BookTok, BookTwitter, and Bookstagram grows, it normalizes adults reading a range of books and allows us to see others' thoughts and opinions on children, teen, and young adult literature. The true connection with people and folklore is that it brings us a sense of familiarity and simplicity in otherwise complicated world. So go out there and read a whimsical fairy tale or animal tale. Number two, let's talk about the elephant in the room, or more accurately, the bear in the mitten. It seems highly unlikely to me that all these animals could fit into a single mitten, 
so I decided to investigate this for myself and see how much a mitten could really hold. Unfortunately, I do not have access to all these animals, so I couldn't do a practical test. But with a bit of math and a lot of Googling, we should have a good theoretical idea of what is possible. Fair warning, due to not knowing the exact breed of these animals in the internet, generally not always giving clear sizing, these are rough estimates. My numbers are based on the average animal sizes of breeds known to be native to this area. But before we address the animals, let's get an idea on our container size. Today's story said the owner of the mitten was a young boy, but to give this mitten the best chance it can, let's just say that he had borrowed his dad's mittens for the day. So for an adult male, the average hand length is about eight to nine inches. Calculating the circumference and using a cylinder as a base for our measuring volume, we are looking at about 450 cubic inches, which for our purposes means that it could comfortably hold about four bananas. With that in mind, the most the mitten could have held the common mouse plus a common frog and a house sparrow. And that's about it. Each of these animals is smaller than the length of one banana, so they all could have reasonably fit in the mitten together. Every other animal's average height and length would simply be too big to try and fit into this small mitten. The smallest of the remaining animals would be the owl. The average size of the common barn owl is about 14.5 inches tall, which is two bananas long. So unfortunately, there's no way the bear or any of the other animals were going to fit in this. They just never had a chance. For further details on my findings and how each animal would compare to the mitten, check out our website for this week's show notes. Number three, Ukrainian folklore and folk traditions have always been at the forefront of their cultural movements. According to a survey of Ukrainian folklore by Petro Linter, the earliest mention of the basim, a type of orally transmitted fable, already existed in the region from as early as the 11th and 12th centuries. Oral delivery was the most common method of spreading stories, specifically through folk songs, folk tales, and chants. According to Filiaret Kolista, a lot of Ukrainian folk tales were suppressed during the 1800s, and specifically in 1849, one author, Andrei Ivanovich Deminsky, was accused of distributing revolutionary literature with this collection of folktales and legends. When we look at the genres of these folktales, we can see that the amount of Ukrainian animal tales surpasses all of Western Europe and Russia. These tales can be broken down into tales that come from Aesop's fables and genuine folk stories that are characterized by their creativity and simplicity. Some of the animals featured like the goat and wolf are believed to be the totem animals from Ukrainian tribes and held special meanings. The most popular animals in the Ukrainian animal tales are the fox with over 55 stories, the wolf with 34, the dog with 29, the bear with 23, the tomcat with 18, the hare with 14, and the horse with 12. There's also the birds, which are the roosters, the sparrows, the eagles. The number of the animals may be random and just based on the storyteller's preferences, but they could also correlate to the top three wild animals in Ukraine, which are the fox, wolf, and hare. To see more animal tales from Ukraine, check out the show notes on this episode on our website at talesfromenchantedforest.com. Number four. The mitten in today's story was seen as a nice warm place to stay during a cold winter's night. And since none of the animals owned the mitten, it was considered fair game and open for everyone. But of course, all the animals acted on their own self-interest and decided that they deserved a spot in the mitten. All were aware of how little room was available, but nevertheless wanted to take what little space was remaining for themselves. This resulted in the mitten bursting and being ruined once it became too much. The concept of an unregulated shared resource being ruined or depleted like this is known as the tragedy of the commons. 
This concept dates back to an essay written by British economist William Forrester Lloyd in 1833, but it wouldn't be known as the tragedy of the commons until 1968, when Garrett Hardin would use the term in his article for Science magazine. There are many real-world examples of this idea in play. Overfishing, deforestation, traffic congestion, you get the idea. This concept is also illustrated in a book and later movie adaptation of Dr. Seuss's The Lorax. This story is all about a single man known as the Onceler, who slowly strips the land of all of its resources. The guardian, known as the Lorax, tries to warn the Onceler to stop before it's too late, but he refuses to listen as the man is making lots of money off the land. The story ends tragically as the forest, animals, and the Lorax are all gone. The book ends with the ones they're asking a child to help replant the forest to correct his mistake. And it's not exactly clear how possible this endeavor is, or if they're ever successful in it. Number five. In this tale, the mitten is an impossibly small object that can hold a ridiculous amount of items. If this sounds familiar, then you are probably thinking of the bag of holding trope. Named after the Dungeons and Dragons item, this trope features an almost limitless amount of space within a small item that often leads to a pocket dimension. This is a common feature in a lot of animated works and comic books where characters pull out a massive item from their backpacks. In Big Hero 6, there is a power purse which belongs to Honey Lemon and is full of inter-universe wormholes. This trope lends itself to the bigger on the inside theme that we see in Doctor Who's pockets and Robin from How I Met Your Mother's Bag of Vices. It also has one of my favorite tropes, which is the rummage fail when characters rummage around these endless bags with a seemingly random assortment of objects in order to find the one they need. Think Merlin from the animated movie The Sword in the Stone. Well, we are going to skedaddle before anyone comes looking for their lost mitten. Come back in a fortnight to help us determine if a story from beyond the stars is a fairy tale or just fantastic. As always, if you want to see the show summary, notes, and the five fantastic finds, please check them out on our website, talesfromtheenchantedforest.com. If you want to hear more from us, join us on Twitter at FromEnchanted or Instagram at talesfromtheenchantedforest. Or if you're old school like Sparrow, you can email us at talesfromtheenchantedforest at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your questions, comments, and suggestions. So if, if you have anything to share, please don't hesitate. And remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard here today and what we do here, please give us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. We'll give you a big shout out and our eternal gratitude. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. Mm-hmm.